Rosemary? All right now, stop all the noise. Hey there. Hi. Hello. Rosemary James lives above the bookstore she owns in the French Quarter. As I walked up her steep stairs, I met her tiny, feisty guard dog. She she's, wants to be the center of attention. That's what it is. She doesn't want me to talk to anybody but her. She is such a brat. A cute brat, who you might hear from again because she sat with us in Rosemary's living room and stared me down the entire interview. Rosemary's been living in the quarter since 1964 when she got a job at the state's item newspaper. She was fresh out of college and one of just two women in the newsroom where she started on the maritime and oil beat. A couple years later, she was transferred to cover the district attorney, Jim Garrison. Everybody called him the Jolly Green Giant and because he was so tall and he, he towered over everybody. And, you know, he's a fairly good-looking man and he had a good sense of humor. He was fun to cover and easy to access. He loved the attention. Well, Garrison was a master manipulator of the media. Uh, There's no question about that. He gained national exposure for his series of raids on French Quarter strip clubs. The New York Times wrote profiles about the New Orleans DA cleaning up Bourbon Street. You know, he would go around in the French Quarter with his uh, investigators and they would pick up known prostitutes. And they would be hauled off to jail, and he would let them out as soon as the headlines that he wanted and craved had occurred. Garrison also allegedly went to these strip clubs as a customer. He knew all of the working girls, I guarantee you. And, uh, you know, he was a regular at several of the clubs on Bourbon Street. Rosemary knew Jim Garrison was a larger-than-life media hound. But what she didn't know, what she never could have imagined— was that his local antics would morph into an international spectacle and eventually a hit film for Hollywood surrounding the assassination of a U.S. president. Tonight I'm going to talk to you about truth and about fairy tales. You're going to learn that although you are citizens of the United States, information concerning the cause of the death of your president has been withheld from you. And what I'm telling you tonight is true. He portrayed himself as the only person out there seeking the real truth about the death of John Kennedy. He was an egomaniac, plain and simple. From WRKF and WWNO, this is Sticky Wicket, Louisiana politics versus the press. We're taking on four historic clashes between Louisiana politicians and the media, one at a time. Because these relationships have always been love-hate in the Pelican State. I'm your host, Lane Kaplan-Levinson. Today, Jim Garrison's Dangerous Fairy Tale. How did this happen? How did a city DA take the lead on investigating the death of the president that happened in a different city? Let's back up to when Kennedy was shot 50 years ago this month. You'll excuse me if I am out of breath. A bulletin, this is from the United Press from Dallas. President Kennedy and Governor John Colony have been cut down by assassin's bullets in downtown Dallas. They were riding in an open automobile when the shots were fired. The president, his limp body carried in the arms of his wife, Jacqueline, has rushed to Parkland Hospital. 
John F. Kennedy was assassinated at 12.30 p.m. on Friday, November 22, 1963, in Dallas, Texas. A man was quickly arrested, Lee Harvey Oswald. But Oswald was never put on trial because he was shot and killed by a man named Jack Ruby on live TV just two days after the assassination. In an attempt to find answers and calm a grieving nation, the government launched an investigation into the assassination. They released the Warren Report, which concluded that Oswald was the lone gunman responsible for the death of the president. The problem is, most of the country doesn't buy it. And in fact, it sort of sets off a cottage industry of people who are critiquing that report. That's Louisiana State University's Alicia Long, who you may remember from the Huey Long episode. She says nearly three quarters of Americans still think there is some kind of conspiracy related to JFK's murder. And a lot of those conspiracies were born out of skepticism over the Warren report. When it first comes out, people are reading the report and critiquing it and using the material in it to come up with their own ideas about what had happened. Jim Garrison is one of those skeptics. I think that the Warren Commission was wrong. A couple years after the Warren report is released, Garrison is flying home from Washington with Louisiana Senator Russell Long, Huey Long's son. Long also doubted the report, and sitting next to him on that plane, suggested that Garrison himself look into the matter. Then, Rosemary James at the state's item starts hearing rumors. So you start to hear these rumors that he's investigating the JFK assassination. (laughs) And you're like, that's crazy. That's definitely not happening. We let the rumors go for quite a while. But when she gets a tip from Garrison's own office, she decides to look into it. She discovers that the DA had hired investigators and gone on multiple trips to Dallas. Bam, they had a story. The district attorney of New Orleans is investigating the assassination of John F. Kennedy. The state's item has learned of these activities by researching expenditures of the district attorney's office, you know, blah, blah, blah. When your story ran, did you think it was going to be a big deal? Well, I thought it was a big deal myself that he would think that the district attorney of Orleans Parish was the proper person to investigate the assassination. I didn't realize it would immediately attract reporters from all over the world. NBC, CBS, The New York Times, The Washington Post, all showed up for the very first news conference the day after Rosemary broke the story on February 17, 1967. So it was pretty shocking, actually. If I had known what was going to happen, I think I would have recommended we leave the story alone, frankly. Jim Garrison was one of many JFK conspiracy theorists in the country trying to get their voices heard. But Alicia Long says he had something none of the rest had. Subpoena power. And he can affect an arrest and bring someone to trial on conspiracy charges, which he does. You know, it got to be silly. Rosemary James. He would come up with a new theory every day about what happened. And the reporters started calling it the theory du jour. 
because it, every time he would have a news conference, it would be a different theory. But about two weeks after these initial disclosures, there also starts to be a fair amount of editorial coverage that's skeptical of the claims he's making. And I think by late February, early March, there is starting to be a sense that maybe this is more of a ruse than a serious investigation. Garrison was playing a cat and mouse game with the media. Every time they started to lose interest in him, he'd come up with a new theory to dangle in front of them, like that a whole gang of Cubans shot at JFK from storm drains in Dallas. After a few weeks of these complete shots in the dark, the press was going sour. At that very moment where the press is beginning to express real skepticism about what Garrison is doing, Clay Shaw's arrest is made. On March 1st, 1967, The first arrest has been made in the investigation of the New Orleans District Attorney's Office into the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. Arrested this evening in the District Attorney's Office was Clay Shaw, age 54, of 1313 Dauphine Street, New Orleans, Louisiana. Mr. Shaw will be charged with participation in a conspiracy to murder John F. Kennedy. Clay Shaw's arrest was effected in such a way that it was actually designed to attract press and television attention. I have no doubts whatsoever about the case. I said this some time ago, and I meant it. Has Mr. Shaw professed his innocence? Uh, No comment about that. So what did you first think when all of a sudden Clay's name came up? He's finally gone around the bend. That's what I thought. You know, this is outrageous. Rosemary James thought Garrison's latest suspect was his wildest. She knew the retired businessman personally. A lot of people did. He was also very popular in social circles. So he was a well-known man about town. So why Clay Shaw? There are all sorts of theories about why he decided to zero in on Clay and make a scapegoat out of him. One involves an incident at Brennan's on Royal Street. Shaw and Ella Brennan were friends and often ate dinner together at her restaurant. And one night when they were having dinner together, uh, Garrison was there with his wife, Liz, and he started slapping her around. And Clegg intervened and made a scene and got him out of there. And, you know, the rumor was that Garrison was livid, that he had been embarrassed in this way. Some people thought maybe Garrison was getting back at him for that. But Garrison had his own convoluted argument, which had to do with a man named Clay Bertrand. This name, Clay Bertrand, appears in the Warren report as someone who conspired to kill Kennedy along with Oswald. And the key question is, who is Clay Bertrand? No one can seem to find any Clay Bertrand or come up with any other information about him. When Garrison digs into it, he starts theorizing that this Clay Bertrand character is actually Clay Shaw. The problem is they could not find anyone uh, to provide that pesky little thing called evidence for Clay Shaw being Clay Bertrand. But there is one thing Garrison's office knows about Clay Shaw that they think they can hang a case on. He's gay. And maybe the best known gay man in New Orleans at the time. I know what you're thinking. What does being gay have to do with assassinating a United States president? Well, first, let's remember, it's 1967. 
homosexuality at this period of time is classed as a mental illness by the American Psychological Association. Uh, many cities around the country work very hard to uh, arrest homosexual men out of gay bars or cruising spots. Including New Orleans and Jim Garrison's office. So there's a way in which people believe homosexuals are not just sort of sex criminals, but they're liable to all kinds of other criminal activity. This is not good for Clay Shaw. Like most gay folks at the time, he's not out. Plenty of people close to him know he's gay, but he doesn't talk about it in his professional life at all. Somehow, though, Garrison knows and publicly outs him in the worst possible way. You just have to out someone one time to have people cast suspicion on them in a way that marks them. So he uses the term, sort of theorizes out that this had been a sort of homosexual thrill killing that Clay Shaw resented John F. Kennedy's virility and power, and so they want to um, sort of bring him down, and the way they can do that is sort of plan this assassination. And he calls it a homosexual thrill killing. Clay Shaw was completely blindsided by his arrest, and as soon as he was released on bail, he fiercely denied the accusations. I'm shocked and dismayed at the charges which have been filed against me. I've always had only the highest and utmost respect and admiration for Mr. Kennedy, and assume that in due course, it will be afforded an opportunity to prove my innocence. In July of 1967, Jim Garrison goes on NBC to make his case to the American public. The following time period has been made available to District Attorney Jim Garrison of New Orleans to reply to an NBC News program broadcast on June 19th. In that program, NBC News examined some of the methods used by Mr. Garrison in his investigation of what he charges was a conspiracy to assassinate President Kennedy. Except for the opening and closing announcements, this program has been prepared under Mr. Garrison's sole supervision. The camera pans away from the news anchor in the foreground to center Garrison, who's in a dark suit. He leans his long body against the desk and stares straight into the camera. Tonight I'm going to talk to you about truth and about fairy tales, about justice and about injustice. In the months to follow, you're going to learn that many of the things which some of the major news agencies have been telling you are untrue. You're going to learn that although you are citizens of the United States, information concerning the cause of the death of your president has been withheld from you. Essentially what he does is argue that the government is your enemy, the press is your enemy, and really I'm the only one you should listen to about this. In the months to come, you will learn to your own satisfaction that President Kennedy was not killed by a lone assassin. You will learn that there has been and continues to be a concerted effort to keep you from learning these facts. And you will learn, I assure you, that what I have been trying to tell you and what I'm telling you tonight is true. He was good on television. And television expanded the kind of exposure people could have to politicians. And so he goes on the Johnny Carson show. I don't understand. Who's suppressing all of this information on whose order? I'll tell you who's suppressing it. The federal government is suppressing it. Who in the federal government? The administration. The administration of your government is suppressing it because they know that the Central Intelligence Agency... On whose order? 
on the order of the President of the United States. Who do you think issued... Let me finish now. I didn't say anything. Before the advertisement. He pursued that publicity, and that helped to, I think, give momentum to and some kind of credibility to him in the eyes of many Americans who were skeptical about the Warren Commission report. He's making the argument. Shaw isn't. While Garrison's making the rounds on cable news, Clay Shaw is watching his life fall apart. Rosemary James says first, he loses friends. One of his greatest friends had been Edith Stern, the heiress to the Sears fortune, and uh, she dropped him like a hot potato. Then, Alicia Long says, they raid his home. There is a list put together of the things that are seized from his home. This list is very carefully curated to suggest that Clay Shaw is a sexually depraved homosexual, right? And so the fact that he had uh, whips and chains in his apartment is a big part of this curated list. Garrison's weaponizing Shaw's sexuality and somehow trying to connect the dots between a sadomasochistic sex life and murdering the president. Some of Shaw's gay friends and lovers stay by his side, but Shaw eventually distances himself from them to protect them. He writes about this in his journal, which is kept at the historic New Orleans collection. My producer Mara found it there. So this is from May. I had a date at 3 p.m. at the barber shop, and while having haircut, manicure, and shoe shine, who should come in but Jack, bearing a big frosty martini for me? Delighted to see him again. I haven't made any effort to see him, as I explained, largely for his protection, which he understands. Dot, dot, dot. Seven months after his arrest, Shaw tells a TV reporter that his constitutional rights have been violated and that this case is bigger than him. It's a matter that should concern every citizen of the United States. It has been well said by a distinguished American that all men's rights are diminished when any man's rights are threatened. And I think that expresses the case very well. Who said that? President John F. Kennedy said that. In January of 1969, nearly two years after his arrest, Clay Shaw finally goes on trial. Well, I got up and went to the courthouse every day. (laughs) Rosemary James covered the trial for the state's item newspaper. What were those six weeks like? A circus. Critics of District Attorney Jim Garrison say that it will be more a three-ring circus than a trial at the criminal court building in Orleans Parish. But defenders of Garrison argue that he has a case and a good one. The issue will be tested Before arresting Clay Shaw, Garrison had his theory du jour. Now it was his witness du jour. One witness was a prisoner who Garrison promised to release if he said what he wanted on the stand. And then there was a young man who Garrison hypnotized and planted some thoughts in his head uh, through hypnosis. Yeah, Garrison actually had his key witness, Perry Russo, hypnotized to deliver the message that this name Clay Bertrand was actually Clay Shaw, which still totally confused everybody. Despite this conduct and a complete lack of evidence, the public was split over the trial. Some people called Rosemary James to chew her out for being unfair to Garrison. And then there were the other people who, you know, felt like we were wasting newsprint. And and there were very few people who were undecided. It was one of those very divisive 
situations in the community. Towards the end, even Garrison's office was divided. Garrison's problems multiplied yesterday. His chief aide, William Gervich, abruptly resigned. Mr. Gervich, why did you resign as Mr. Garrison's chief aide in this investigation? The truth as I see it is that Mr. Shaw should never have been arrested. Would you say these methods were illegal? I would say very illegal and unethical. Do you believe Mr. Garrison had knowledge of these activities? Yeah, of course he did. He ordered it. He ordered it? He ordered it. Why did he feel it was necessary to order such activities? That I cannot explain. I am not a psychiatrist. Rosemary James keeps showing up to the courthouse day after day, and people keep reading the papers and watching the nightly news. Then, after six long weeks in the courtroom, Shaw finally takes the stand. He testifies that he never knew Lee Harvey Oswald, that he had never heard the name Clay Bertrand, and that he never conspired with anyone to assassinate the President of the United States. He takes his seat, and the jury leaves the courtroom to deliberate. It takes them just 50 minutes, less than an hour, to deliver a unanimous verdict. Not guilty. Clay Shaw was a free man, but he had no life to return to. In those two years, he lost his privacy, his life savings, his community, and eventually his health. Meanwhile, Jim Garrison's reputation barely suffered following the trial. He was even elected DA for a third term. But rumors started floating around about his sexuality. Gay men at the time claimed Garrison treated gay bars the same way he treated strip clubs. He not only raided them, he cruised them. It later became a known fact that Garrison sexually harassed a man in the locker room of the New Orleans Athletic Club. The family confirmed the story, but to keep their son's identity private, never pressed charges. Alicia Long says there's a record of all of this. It's astounding to read the FBI's documents related to this case and the sort of information they had on people about their sex lives. And Certainly, Clay Shaw's sex life is discussed in government documents, but so is Jim Garrison's. The rumors got so loud that Garrison himself had to address them. And he chalks it up to kind of the FBI or the CIA trying to entrap and smear him as a homosexual. He includes this in a book called Trail of Assassins, which continues to persist that the Warren report is still wrong and his theories are still right. Filmmaker Oliver Stone finds his narrative so compelling, he turns the book into a movie, JFK, starring Kevin Costner as Jim Garrison. You, the people, the jury system sitting in judgment on Clay Shaw, represent the hope of humanity against government power. Nothing as long as you live will ever be more important. Rosemary was assigned to see JFK with Garrison's former chief investigator, Pershing Gervais. He was one of the people in Garrison's office who told Rosemary there was no case against Shaw. After the film, he looked at her and said, I have one word, horse <laughs> Alicia Long says the film was an almost completely fictional account, and yet that's imprinted on the national consciousness. 
because JFK grossed over $70 million in theaters. It was a huge hit. You it's think not it helped, a historically accurate movie. But, but, but regardless, you think it helped Garrison's lasting legacy? Without question. Garrison lost his fourth DA seat to Harry Connick Sr. after being indicted for bribery charges involving illegal gambling. He was found not guilty after a full trial and later went on to serve as a Fourth Circuit appeals court judge. Despite conspiracy theories, criminal indictments, sexual abuse allegations, and ruining an innocent man's life, Garrison ended his career on the bench. After the trial, Clay Shaw traveled around telling his story of being tried unjustly. You know, Clay Shaw went around and spoke at colleges, some in the aftermath of his trial. And he talked about that, you know, that I'm just an individual, but you need to think about what happened to me because I'm a person with enough resources to have fought these charges, but a lot of people don't have those kind of resources. He said Garrison's abuse of power damaged the justice system, which matters particularly in a place like Louisiana with very high incarceration rates and very poorly funded public defender's offices. When people's civil rights are being violated, when human beings are being mistreated, for my money, justice is not being served. What harm and or damage, uh, separate from a person's life, did Garrison cause with this entire project? Well. I don't think there's a much bigger currency (laughs) than, you know, someone's life and reputation and dignity. Speaking as a human being, (laughs) if someone took those things away from me unjustly, that would be a huge deal. Shaw stopped speaking out a few years after his acquittal when he was diagnosed with lung cancer. He died soon after. Garrison's homosexual thrill-killing conspiracy consumed the rest of Shaw's life. How does the press decide who and what to cover? And how does this impact who has power, who stays in power? These questions are why Rosemary James is relieved she runs a bookstore these days and isn't a journalist. You almost are in a catch-22 situation because here is a person who is a major public official who has a lot of power. And, you know, whatever he does is actually newsworthy. And if you're an overreaching personality, you're going to get more coverage than you deserve. She does not envy those navigating all of this today under the current administration. I would prefer not to be covering a demagogue again if I had my personal preference. (laughs) 
Sticky Wicket is a production of WRKF Baton Rouge and WWNO New Orleans Public Radio. This series is part of the Democracy and the Informed Citizen Initiative, ministered by the Federation of State Humanities Councils. The initiative seeks to deepen the public's knowledge and appreciation of the vital connections between democracy, the humanities, journalism, and an informed citizenry. The Louisiana Endowment for the Humanities thanks the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation for their generous support of this initiative and the Pulitzer Prizes for their partnership. Sticky Wicket is also in partnership with LA Politics, Xavier University of Louisiana, and Louisiana State University. Our editor is Eve Tro. Our producer is Mara Laser. Our composer is Peter J. Bowling. Our graphic designer is Riley Tehan, and our illustrator is Jasper Means. Make sure to subscribe to the Sticky Wicket podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, and please rate and review the show. You've heard it before, you'll hear it again. It makes a huge difference. Also, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Sticky Wicket Pod. We're putting up all types of extra content over there that we couldn't fit into these episodes. I'm Lane Kaplan Levinson, and this has been a real Sticky Wicket. Sticky Wicket.